I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, my name's Graham Abbott. Welcome to Classics Unlocked, a program brought to you by Universal Music and Classics Direct. Ludwig van Beethoven's place in posterity is assured by virtue of his unique contribution to Western art as a composer. His revolutionary music changed the way composers composed and the way performers performed. But at the start of his career, Beethoven would have viewed himself more as a performer, a virtuoso pianist. These days, we tend to separate composer and performer, but in the 18th and 19th century, the two roles, as often as not, combined within the same person. Performers needed to compose works to display their virtuosity, but because their music outlived their playing, we understandably focus on the composer side and not the performing side. Bach, Handel, Mozart, Hummel, Spohr, Mendelssohn, Paganini and Liszt were all composing virtuosos. So was Beethoven. Apart from solo works for their instruments, virtuoso performers needed big works to show off their talents, and this usually meant concertos, works for solo instrument and orchestra. Bach's harpsichord concertos, Handel's organ concertos, Mozart's, Hummel's, Mendelssohn's and Liszt's piano concertos, and Spohr's and Paganini's violin concertos were generally written for the composer to perform. It was what a virtuoso did. So when Beethoven, in his teens, started to get a vision for his life as a piano virtuoso, it was only logical that he, too, should not only write solo piano works, but that he should also turn his thoughts to a concerto. Beethoven's earliest works for solo piano were published in his hometown of Bonn in the early 1780s when he was just 12. At around the same time, he composed his first piano concerto. This concerto in E-flat major is now listed in the catalogue of Beethoven's Works Without Opus number, but unfortunately only the solo piano part has survived. The rest of the score, the orchestra part, has been lost although the solo part contains a few indications as to what the orchestra did. Even in this incomplete form, it gives us an opportunity to hear the virtuoso's solo part the 13 or 14-year-old Beethoven designed for himself. It was only a few years after this that Beethoven, aged 16, visited Mozart in Vienna with a view to studying with him. Sadly, it was never to be as he was soon recalled to Bonn during his mother's final illness, after which he became the head of the family in place of his alcoholic, abusive father. 
By the time Beethoven got back to Vienna, Mozart was dead, and his later studies with Haydn were not without their difficulties. In addition to the teenage E-flat piano concerto, fragments also survive of a violin concerto from the early 1790s, and we know from elsewhere that Beethoven also composed an oboe concerto around the same time, alas, now completely lost. But these early works aside, when we think of Beethoven and the concerto form, we usually think of seven published works. Five piano concertos, the violin concerto of 1806, and the triple concerto for piano trio and orchestra. In this program, we're going to survey the five magnificent piano concertos using recordings featuring Stephen Kovacevic at the piano with the BBC Symphony Orchestra and the London Symphony Orchestra conducted by Sir Colin Davis. The first written of Beethoven's five published piano concertos is the one now known as number two, the B-flat concerto, Opus 19. This had a very long gestation period, as it's likely a version of it existed in the early 1790s, before Beethoven left Bonn. In 1793, once he'd settled in Vienna, he worked on a new version of the piece, one that probably had a different structure to the work we now know. There exists from the same period a rondo for piano and orchestra, which many scholars believe may have been the original finale for this concerto. Beethoven revised the B-flat concerto again in the mid-1790s, giving it the slow movement and finale we now know, then revised this version yet again in 1798. He performed it in Vienna and elsewhere, and clearly felt it would have more impact if it was unpublished and therefore not available to rival players, and there were plenty of those. It wasn't until December 1801 that the B-flat concerto finally appeared in print, by which time he'd written and published another concerto, the C major, now known as number one. The B-flat concerto is one of the dashing masterworks of Beethoven's early style, a huge advance in terms of daring modulations and intriguing rhythmic complexity. The catchy rondo finale is a perfect example of this.
The C major concerto, Opus 15, published earlier in 1801, was written in 1795, after the first versions of the B-flat concerto were in existence. It was probably played at a concert Beethoven gave in March of that year, which was his first public concert in Vienna. He revised it in 1800 before publication and must have known that it was a fine achievement. The C major concerto is more assured and more mature in its emotional depth. It seamlessly combines good humour with deft craftsmanship. The outer movements are dazzling, as one would expect from the virtuoso Beethoven out to impress, but it's perhaps in the central slow movement that we really sense the composer's increasing ability to express deeper, more sensitive emotions as well. Beethoven's rate of publishing music increased enormously in the early years of the century. The B-flat concerto appeared in print at the end of 1801. Less than three years later, his third piano concerto in C minor was published as his Opus 37. 
the third concerto was composed between 1800 and 1803, a time of incredible energy and productivity for Beethoven. It was the period in which he wrote the second symphony and most of the third. It was when Beethoven came to terms with his deteriorating hearing and wrote the heartbreaking Heiligenstadt Testament. It was the period he created the Opus 18 Quartets, the Horn Sonata, five of the piano sonatas, including the famous Moonlight, and much more besides. The C minor concerto chronicles Beethoven's increasing need to follow new paths and the sheer skill with which he did this. In this work, he manages to balance a sense of dynamic power with a perfect sense of dramatic timing. The whole concerto is on a much larger scale than the preceding two, something happening in Beethoven's music generally at the time. Look at the Third Symphony. And yet the solo part is still clearly designed as a virtuoso showcase for the composer. Beethoven's harmonic language by this point in his career regularly involved exploring harmonic relationships which were unusual, juxtaposing keys which were remote and not normally connected. In the C minor concerto, the slow movement is in E major, a tonal center very remote from C minor. <laughs> 
The note E is not part of the C minor scale. In fact, it's the one note you can count on not being in the C minor scale. Having the slow movement in E major enabled Beethoven to instantly remove his audience to another plane entirely. Yet the effect is magical, not jarring. E major was in Beethoven's day firmly connected with statements of the noblest and most elevated sentiments, something not lost on Mozart either. The slow movement of the third piano concerto is quite simply one of the most beautiful things ever written.
Incidentally, many writers draw a connection between Beethoven's C minor concerto and Mozart's concerto in the same key, K491, composed in 1786. Looking at the facts, though, it seems likely that what similarities there are are coincidental. Mozart's concerto wasn't published during his lifetime, and the manuscript was closely guarded by his widow until it was eventually published in 1800. By that time, Beethoven's concerto was at the very least drafted in outline and well under construction. It's remotely possible that Beethoven might have seen Mozart's score when he visited Vienna as a 16-year-old in 1787, but it's almost certain that Beethoven didn't deliberately set out to model his concerto on Mozart's. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the first decade of the 19th century, Beethoven's deafness was certainly apparent to him and increasingly apparent to others. But its onset wasn't as sudden as musical mythology often portrays. He was still able to converse to some extent until his early 40s, that is, after 1810. And the famous conversation books weren't used regularly until the last 10 years or so of his life, that is, from about 1817 onwards. This means that despite the increasing seriousness of his hearing loss, Beethoven still performed as a pianist until around 1814, the year he turned 44. The solo parts in all the piano works heard so far in this program were intended by Beethoven as vehicles for his own playing. It's assumed that Beethoven also intended the solo part in his next concerto for himself, but the work in question now known as the Triple Concerto, is very unusual indeed. The composer himself noted that no one else had written a concerto for violin, cello and piano soloists against an orchestra, and it really seems that no one had. Beethoven himself had sketched ideas for such a concerto in D major in 1802, but these were abandoned. The Triple Concerto was composed around the time he was completing the Third Symphony, 1804-1805 and most unusually was published in 1807 before it was performed in 1808. Beethoven was acutely aware of the potential for the cello to be swamped by the combined sound of the orchestra and the other two soloists, a problem in most cello concertos. The cello is the first solo instrument heard in each of the three movements, and the work's reputation today is such that the cello part is regarded as enormously difficult. Thank you. 
Another feature of the triple concerto is that the slow movement runs into the finale without a break, something which would happen in all of Beethoven's three subsequent concertos. His next concerto was another piano concerto, number four in G. It was written concurrently with the triple concerto, that is, during the years 1804 to 1806, possibly even into 1807. Beethoven's last two piano concertos, this one and the Emperor Concerto, stand apart from his other concertos as completely new in so many respects. It's also hard to credit the fact that Beethoven could write the Triple Concerto and the Fourth Piano Concerto at the same time. The Triple Concerto is regarded by even the most ardent admirer of Beethoven as a disappointment in many ways, a work which seems not to deliver all that it promises. The fourth piano concerto, on the other hand, is a miracle of invention, power, drama and sheer beauty. By Beethoven's day, and in virtually every other concerto ever written by any other composer, the orchestra always started first, providing a solid introduction and stating the main themes of the first movement. Imagine the shock at the 1808 premiere of the fourth piano concerto then, when Beethoven started playing first. And with the piano finishing in the dominant D major, the strings answer immediately in B major, winding the harmony back to the home key for the start of the introduction proper. The fourth concerto has its powerful moments, but overall the effect is much more calm and considered than its fiery predecessor, the C minor concerto. Much comment has also been made about the completely unprecedented middle movement, a movement for the piano and the strings, in which the two play out some agonised, tragic dialogue. This is one of Beethoven's time-stand-still movements, one which can make audiences and performers hold their breath. Thank you. 
The finale commences without a break after this, bright, bubbly and deliciously captivating. The fourth piano concerto is one of Beethoven's most successful creations of any sort, and today remains a cornerstone of the piano concerto repertoire. 
It was published as Beethoven's Opus 58 in 1808, by which time he'd also composed and performed a work which caused him great difficulty, the Violin Concerto. Various factors conspired to make the Violin Concerto, now one of the pillars of the violin repertoire, a failure in the composer's lifetime. So much so that rather than potentially waste such a huge and imposing work, Beethoven rearranged the solo violin part for piano, instantly making another piano concerto, but these days this pales in comparison to the original violin version and is rarely heard. There is evidence to suggest that Beethoven initially intended to play his fifth and final piano concerto himself, as he had all its predecessors, but that by the time it was completed, in 1811, he realised his deteriorating hearing would have made this far too risky. The concerto in E-flat was written over a two-year period from 1809, and it's one of the high points of Beethoven's so-called heroic style. The fifth concerto was premiered not in Vienna, but in Leipzig in late 1811, with Friedrich Schneider as the soloist. The following year, Beethoven's pupil Karl Czerny gave the first Viennese performance. The work acquired the nickname of the Emperor Concerto when it was published in London. The nickname wasn't Beethoven's idea, but it does seem to sum up the work's character. Whether Beethoven would have liked the nickname, with all its unavoidable associations with Napoleon, is another matter.
Beethoven completed no more concertos after the Emperor, although in 1815 he did start a sixth piano concerto. The surviving manuscript peters out midway through the first movement, and sporadic sketches give very little idea of what might have followed. The Emperor Concerto dates from his so-called middle period. In his later years, Beethoven's creative focus was far more on the symphony, the piano sonata, and later still, the string quartet. But the five published piano concertos are a unique body of work, stunning in their power and originality, and ample testimony to Beethoven's creativity and innovation. The piano concertos have rightly taken their place at the centre of the canon, and they continue to challenge and fascinate performers and audiences to the present day. The recordings of the five piano concertos used in this program were made in London between 1969 and 1974. The soloist was Stephen Kovacevic, and the conductor Sir Colin Davis. In the first four piano concertos, they collaborated with the BBC Symphony Orchestra, while in the Emperor Concerto, we heard the London Symphony Orchestra. In the Triple Concerto, we heard part of a recording made in 1970, with Eliahu Inbal conducting the New Philharmonia Orchestra. In that recording, the soloists were Claudio Aral, piano, Henrik Schering, violin, and Janos Starker, cello. All these recordings have been recently reissued on the Eloquence label. Thanks so much for your company. My thanks to Tom Ford for the technical production of the program. I'm Graham Abbott. Catch you next time for more musical explorations in Classics Unlocked. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.